Hello and welcome to the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and we're here today to discuss another three teams, the final grades for the year, uh, how they've all performed throughout the off-season, their uh, retirements and delistings, their free agency moves, their trade and draft scores, and how they performed, I guess, against our expectations uh, when we were reviewing their lists earlier in the year. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Sean Lewis. Sean, how are you doing, mate? Doing very well, John. Uh, nice to be over the uh, the eastern side of the bay for once. Yeah, yeah, well, we are. Welcome down to Chelsea. Recording in Chelsea Studios. Um, and it's it's nice to be, I guess, on the fat side of Christmas as well, because yeah. um, now we're starting to get into the period of time when we actually get some news on the AFL. It's been dead for probably the last two weeks, as we get regurgitated reports on how different people are performing in the preseason and who's running and a weekly update on which new Carlton player has been injured. Yeah, um, well, yeah, that's a, it's a tough one at the moment for the old Carlton supporters. But, I mean, what, you're saying you're not enjoying the Big Bash? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not... I mean, I love sport, um, but I, I don't follow um, anything as closely as I follow football. And I, I'm probably missing um, a lot of the news at the moment that I, that I like to have. But that's fine. Um, we're here to create some um, with our reviews. And so the teams we're covering today, um, still based on the formula that we're recovering, uh, not recovering, we're recording in the same order that we recorded the initial list reviews. Um, so we're covering West Coast, the Western Bulldogs, and the Brisbane Lions today. Um, and I'd like to just jump straight into it because um, ultimately this is this is the fun part of before before we jump in we probably should say Merry Christmas to everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas, you guys, you're fine. Merry <laughs> Christmas, Happy New Year when that comes around. Um, but this should be out before the New Year. So. This this will be out before the New Year. Um, it, do um, do let us know what you're thinking. Um, if there's anything that we've we've missed in the news, um, I'd like some some sort of contact. So jump on Twitter and let me know. Um, <laughs> All right, let's crack into it, mate. Let's, let's crack into it. So yeah, West Coast Eagles. Um, so retired from West Coast was Eric McKenzie and Mark Lacroix, and their delistings were Ryan Burrows, uh, Callan England, Tony Alango, Michael Carpenter, and Luke Partington. Malcolm Carpenter. Malcolm Carpenter. Sorry. Um, so. Uh, you know, fairly fairly small. I mean, I, they lost two players that were relatively important to their depth. So Lacroix was still a best 22 player. Eric McKenzie no longer a best 22 player, but offered good key position depth, um, being a former uh, leadership group and key player um, in the All-Australian way back. Uh, and Lacroix obviously has been a very good player over a very long period of time and was still impactful enough to be keeping a best 22 spot down. Yep. Um, so, I mean, ultimately... They, they made some good deal listings, but the retirements are sort of uh, unfortunate. We give them about a 0.6 um, or a 60%, uh, 6 out of 10, whatever you want to call it for that for that move. Yeah, I think it's really good. They, um, I think when we looked back at our, our analysis of them, um, there was a bit of dead wood in there. I guess we were saying, you know, with guys like Luke Partington and um, Callum England, who are both midfielders, even if they lost guys like Andrew Gaff and that, if they're not going to play them, then they should get rid of them, um, as much as we may not have agreed with that, and that's what they've done. So, you know, they've got a 6 out of 10 because they've really, you know, despite winning a premiership, they've made some, some real positive moves around uh, trying to regenerate their list, and um, Mark Lacroix went out on a high, um, and I think Eric McKenzie announced his retirement a while ago just... Uh, I think it was a foot injury that just couldn't quite get over. So, 
you know, um, two champions for him retiring, but that's what you kind of deal with. So six out of ten is more than fair. It's a, definitely a better than probably previous years expected. But then came free agency for them, and um, obviously the big one they they had uh, Andrew Gaff, who they re-signed, which was fantastic for them. But they lost Scott Lysette, um, their premiership ruckman, to Port Adelaide. Yeah, and it's probably offset by the fact that they get an end of second round, I mean an end of first round pick back. Sorry, um, so that was the start of second round. Um, but it was a like a. Overall, if you could have traded Lysette for a pick around 19 or 20, I think that's a really good trade. So I think that's sort of a, um, I don't know, net positive move. Um, they also were able to bring in um, Keegan Brooksby, uh, who I think was just a, one of those signings from the, um, they've been out of the game for a year, um, but they're still an AFL listed player in the last couple of years. So. He provides good ruck depth um, and probably good key position depth across the board. Um, and they also, like, obviously furthered this in terms of trades, which we'll go through in a minute, but they did manage to bring in um, Tom Hickey as well. So their ruck depth, despite, you know, delisting Orlando and losing Lysette, they've certainly not lost much of their ruck depth. I think they'll be expecting, obviously, Nick Nat when he comes back, but you've also still got Vardy there who has the last two years shown reasonably good resilience to injury, unlike his time at Geelong. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the only thing for me, like I, I've still rated this um, 7 out of 10 for the free agency period just because they got that end of first round pick back. The only thing for me is going to be that Lysette was a really great task-oriented player and he showed that in the finals when he shut down both Gorn and then Grundy. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how Hickey's going to go with that. Hickey's sort of been a more of a hot and cold player across his career. Maybe being at West Coast might mean that he's a bit more disciplined. But that's going to be the biggest thing for me. Is because, that, I mean, that, I think they won those finals because they were able to ice Gorn and Grundy so much. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, without without um, Lysette um, locking out first Gorn and then um, Grundy, they don't win. Yeah, like, that's, I, it's that yeah. simple. Like, I, I, think, I think that if Grundy had had a better game that Collingwood would have the grand final, I think that if Gorn... Had had a more impactful game, it wouldn't have blown out to sixty points in that first quarter. Yeah, exactly. So, um, look overall, it, I mean, Lysette hurts, um, but as you said, the compensation was excellent. I, I mean, I guess probably my only counter, I, I maybe didn't wouldn't have had a seven out of ten. I would have maybe probably given it maybe a five or a six, but probably let's give it a six then. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, but the main point about that one would be that yes, in terms of value, that's a great pick for Lysette. It's probably marginally overs. Um, at the moment but it's also Lysette's value to your team given the injury to Nick Nat it means that you know probably to West Coast Lysette's value was probably up around a pick 10 yeah. because to replace him they were going to need to stump up a bit um, they've managed to do it on the cheap anyway and knowing that they've obviously got a premier grade Ruckman to come back but um I mean, not a bad way to leave a club, winning a premiership and being a key part of it. And Port Adelaide are certainly laughing all the way to the bank. Yep. And I mean, the trade period, um, as you mentioned, Tom Hickey came in um, and they were able to bring in some later picks as well, like 61 and a future fourth round. Um, They also sent out a future fourth round and um, like an early third round pick in pick 39. Uh, That was the one to get Hickey. So, I mean... Really, I think that they probably... That was a sort of a nothing trade period. They were able to replace 
um, Lysette, but they didn't really get the player that they were after, which was Tim Kelly. Yep. So he rated that at the time uh, a 5 out of 10. Um, and the yep. draft, I guess, is where they really dominated because the draft is where they were able to abuse other people's, um, I guess, overvaluation of the current trade pool um, and be involved in a lot of trades that were able to net them both future value and current value. So they were able to, like, they started with those three picks inside um, inside of 40, and they ended up with three picks inside of 40, um, as well as the bid, uh, the match for Jared Cameron, which came inside of 40, so they ended up with four. Uh, they were also able to get a future second-round pick uh, for a future third-round pick or a future fourth-round pick. So they, yeah, I think they really, they were probably a, one of our best-performed teams in the in the draft. They got a, an A-minus average score from us. Um, oh, they definitely were the best-performed, really. Like, they... You know, we talked... Them and Adelaide were the two that took advantage of other teams' um, keenness to get back in and their willingness to, I guess, hold off and and also pick the best available when it got to them. I mean, O'Neill at 28, I think Melbourne had their eyes on him. Um, Luke Foley at 31 is a great pick. Bailey Williams at 35 is an absolute steal. That was a gem. Um, and then Jared Cameron, who was in their academy at 39, like that's, you know, that's a very good pick for for them right there. So they've they've done really well between 28 and 39. They've got four picks, and they've done really well with all those picks. On top of that, they've gone and made those trades that we were talking about, where they've been able to maximise the draft hand they have for the future so as a team that's just won a premiership and a team that's old and is still old next year as well despite the people going out they they've managed to get four young players above pick 40 in the draft and they've also managed to stockpile picks for next year for the future yep. so they're really they're all credit to their list management team to be able to um, yeah use what they've got to not only um generate now but generate for the future and then they've also got kids like um oscar allen and jared brander and stuff still there venables came out this year and started to show why he was so highly rated as a pick 13 you know they've got some and like for lacrae going that's probably the win there is that venables then slips into that role probably plays more midfield than lacrae ever did so you know um i think west coast list wise in a great position and that's why we rated their draft score so high because they yeah. really did maximise every part of it for them for now and the future yeah I think that their their list position and their investment in key positions and rucks is sort of where, where I sort of think that um, Geelong maybe Sydney and Hawthorne who are all of these uh, more experienced teams that have been around the top for a long while similar to West Coast should be doing um, and I think that if if you could have said that Hawthorne in the last two years had picked up Oscar Allen and Jared Brander I would have thought that their position right now would be fantastic, but instead that they've ended up losing a player um, that's a semi-key position player um, in order to go for the now. So I think West Coast have done really well to continue to align for the future. I mean, we said this in their in their podcast when we were reviewing their list. They have the right to do this because they've won, um, and you can only do that if you're the winning team. Now, also, we're looking back at their review as a draft um, I mean, our review of them as a whole, we said that they needed some young quality midfielders. They needed to uh, re-sign either Gath or Lysette. They couldn't lose both of them. And they needed to shore up their ruck stocks after the loss of Nick Nui. 
And I think they did two of those things. Obviously, they were able to re-sign Gaff, and they were able to shore up their rock stocks, bringing in uh, both Brigsby and Hickey, um, and losing Lysette. So And drafting Williams as well. And drafting Williams. I mean, I, they, they did really, really, really well there to just go, okay, then we've got that area of the ground covered. Um, they probably didn't bring in young quality midfielders, but you, you can't always address everything at once. Um, I, think, I think I think their drafting certainly picked up young midfielders. The question will be on quality. You know, in in a year's time or two years' time, we might turn around and say, yeah, they they did tick this box, but for the moment, we've got to say they haven't. Yeah, I, I think that two of their players both could play midfield. Um, in in O'Neill Foley's definitely a midfielder. Um, potentially if they went four midfielders with every single one of their picks, like what the Tigers mm. did, then they would have definitely been trying to address this area of the ground. Um, but let's, I, I would like to see them invest further in that in that area of the ground. I still think that's their biggest weakness, is Agreed. their, is their yeah, absolutely. midfield depth. Um, but overall, um, as an off-season score, that brings them to um, like six and a half out of ten, um, which is pretty good. Um, a bit, much a, much more above average than some of the other teams that are more around the five and a half five sort of score, and I think for next year we've got them projected at about fifth on the ladder. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they slipped a little bit further than that. Um, I think that the the loss of Nick Nat will affect them more next year than it did this year. Um, what all comes down to Tom Hickey's integration, really? It does, and, and it's it's always harder to integrate. Um, in your first year, and we saw that with Port Adelaide this year, bringing in a lot of senior players, and the probably the hardest position on the ground is the connection with the midfielders. So that's going to be the biggest question mark for us. But I still see them, um, still see them somewhere between. I mean, if we had to give them a plus or minus, so it's five, probably plus four, being they could finish first again. Um, that wouldn't be beyond expectation, um, and maybe minus. Uh, maybe like eight. I could yeah. see. I could see them slipping as low as thirteen, um, which is where sort of Adelaide and stuff like that are ranked because yeah. they've probably got a fairly similar list build to someone like an Adelaide. So the same thing could happen to them. Um, they've got, they've got a really wide band, and I guess it's partly because of that age. Like, you know, what what's Kennedy now? He'll be thirty one, thirty two next year, and he's pretty injury prone. So, yeah. but I mean, look like they've got Darling, they've got Brand, they've got all these backups, which is great, but. The question then becomes, like, when these older guys, which they've started happening, obviously, we've lost um, Lacroix and, and um, the Mackenzie's gone, but how long's Hearn got less? Can Hearn really keep producing at the insane level that he's still producing? I mean, by all accounts, there's no one else who prepares himself better, but Hearn's pushing, you know, mid-30s, and he just keeps producing. So, yeah. Um, there's a lot of question marks with how they finish up next year and I guess it was a lot of the same question marks around this year like how do they um, like the bit where at the start of the season you and I discussed it we felt that they were probably going to slip outside the eight um, I'm happy yep. to put my hand up and say I got that one really wrong that was based on the age and the fact that you know you couldn't really trust some of their bodies and you know when Darling and Kennedy went down they were struggling um, but they galvanised, figured out a way, and credit to the coaching team and Adam Simpson and the the players for just getting on with the job. And it was a coaching premiership, I reckon. Um, def- definitely, sort of felt like it from a strategic perspective. They um, were like a one in, one out sort of club all year. If a guy went mm. down, and they replaced them, and they still found a way to win. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, big, big wide bands. Um, they, they did perform really well, though. I think that it was all av- like average until they got to the draft, where they sort of rocketed up in, in the expectations against expectations. Um, but they yep. did, did have a great period. Um, yeah, and and the thing about that as well, like we we've given them six and a half out of ten as an overall off season score, and as we've said multiple times on multiple podcasts, this is saying that a team needs to be on to to meet an expectation. It just needs to be five out of ten. Six and a half out of ten is a really good score for any club in this in in our kind of scoring system. It's yeah. saying that these guys have not only just a little bit achieved above what was expected, they've actually really pushed up based on our expectations. So, And that means it's a list improvement from us as well. So. Yeah, a 6.5 out of 10, for example, uh, has them ranking in the top four of all clubs performed over the off-season. And that's just because, as I said, distributing over a standard bell curve um, any anywhere away from the mean, and they're, they're um, I guess... Out of ten, they're one point five points away from the mean here. Um, they're performing really well, um, so yeah, all credit to them. Um, yep. I, think, I think that's really well performed. Um, but we'll move on to the Bulldogs. We now. will move on to the Bulldogs now. Do you want to cover them? Yeah. So um, retirements. They had uh, Shane Biggs, which was a bit of a surprise. Clay Smith um, and Jack Redpath as well. Then they delisted Kieran Collins. Uh, Nathan Mullinger McHugh Tom sorry well said (laughs) Um, Tom Campbell and Mitch Honeychurch which was a bit of a surprise Um, you know overall looking at this I feel that they've probably hurt their depth they've um, while yes they need to recycle the list and, and everything they Mitch Honeychurch played 13 games last year and um, no, was it thirteen? He played a few games last year, so that. And whilst I know he's a bit maligned, he, he still was um, an AFL level player. Losing um, Smith, Redpath, and Biggs is, I mean, obviously their um, retirements um, rather than rather than I guess delistings, but that really hurts uh, this this overall period for them. Uh, but and Kieran Collins that just hurts for a team that lost Marcus Adams delisting Kieran Collins to me is a is a tough thing because he's a key defender they obviously must think he's not going to make AFL Uh, I don't think he's been picked up since so maybe there's a collective view on that but you've lost Marcus Adams as well so you your key stocks have taken a double hit by your delistings in that. So we gave them a 4 out of 10. Yeah, I, I think it's fair as well. I think that you wouldn't have, in an ideal world, Shane Biggs would have been playing next year. Clay Smith obviously did another ACL, so that's an understandable retirement. But still, you'd want him to be playing next year. You'd want Redpath to be playing next year. And you'd probably, maybe not Honeychurch and maybe not Collins for me, but there's a, there is three players there that in an ideal world wouldn't be retired right now they'd be they'd be still on your list so um still around your best 22 uh biggs was best 22 smith when he was fit was best 22 red path when he was fit was best 10 um so not, not a great period for them in terms of retirements and delistings the free free agency well, i guess was only really offset by the fact that they got a second round pick back so obviously they lost dalhouse um but losing dalhouse after his performance for the last 12 months, maybe 24 months, um, and getting a second round pick back for him was probably just above fair value. 
um, which seems to be the way that free agency compensation works. It always overcompensates you. Um, I mean, it might compensate you based on what the player is actually worth, uh, but whether you can actually get that out in a trade, that's almost very unlikely. Most players well, reward, go for less than what they were worth. It rewards you at the level you're at. It doesn't reward you at the level the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, exactly. the other team that's getting him is at. So yeah, if, if Western Bulldogs were a top four team and they got a pick 34 or 35 back, yeah. that's not good enough for Dalhouse. But a pick 24 or 25 back is great. Yeah, but it's it's that it's like the Buddy versus uh, Chip Frawley. Yeah, like. Yeah. Um, Hawthorne got a pick 19 which Buddy was clearly worth like a pick 2 or a pick 1 even um, but the point was is that he's left a successful team yeah um, so therefore their need for their need for a higher compensation is lower now I don't agree with compensation picks and we've been over this many times so I won't bore everyone but um, you know Melbourne at the time when they lost Chip Frawley was a bottom two side a bottom three side so getting pick three for a player who was considered their best defender seems only fair considering how what the impact on their list is yeah. and that's the way the compensation systems worked out is it's not people try and look at it as the player but it's actually not it's, it's where does that player fit in so if if a player is being offered a, a large contract at another team, but you're a high-performing team, then your compensation is going to be less than if that player is from a bottom four team because that player's impact on your club is higher the lower down the ladder you are. Yep. So, yeah, I agree. And I think we both sort of feel the same about that with free agency. The reason that the system doesn't work is because there's compensation. So instead of a club from the bottom four like Gold Coast, they could get compensation really early compensation for Tom Lynch mm. if there was no compensation available you bet you they would have matched oh yeah 100% they would have matched and they would have either held Tom Lynch to the contract and said sorry mate you have to have sit to stay have to stay for another two years or you're gonna um, or you sit out a year or you sit out a year um, otherwise we're gonna have to negotiate a very high value trade for you which is the purpose of restricted free agency because if he wants to be traded then the team that's recruiting in Richmond, who's a top team, gets punished, as in they don't get rewarded. It's not punished. They have to give up fair value. They have to give up value. But, I mean, they don't get a free player, like a free, really good player. Well, they the, have to pay for him. The flip, the flip side, yeah, as well. Like, the other one I like is that if you're... I'd like to see this come in. I think we're talking about this with the MLB. So, if you're a free agent coming out of a, out of a bottom 10 side to a top 8 side... I'd like to see that that top eight side has to forego their first selection. Yeah. And maybe that's where the balance comes back because they forego that selection, which then goes to the other team. Yeah. Um, but if it's a bottom 10 to bottom 10, I don't see any issues the, with, with forcing yeah, the trade. I, I agree. I, I think that the best way for that to set up is that, say say, say we'll use this, um, we'll use that. If, it, if you're going from a bottom 10 team to a top eight team um, and say it's, uh, we'll go back to that Frawley thing mm. um, say Frawley leaves what you should get is their first round pick and a compensation pick immediately after their first round pick so you get picks if you're Hawthorne at this stage and he was going mm. to a Premier you get 18 and 19 there's two picks uh, they're not going to be as high as three so no one can be complaining you can't complain for giving up pick 18 for Chip Frawley and you're not going to complain if, a, if Melbourne get pick 19 as a compensation as well to compensate them for losing a best player. Yeah. Anyway, oh, way, way off topic, uh, but but <laughs> worth worth covering. Um, so I've... six out of ten was was their score for that. And I mean, in the draft, 
we reviewed them. No, trade. Trade, sorry. In the trade, we reviewed them pretty kindly at the time. But uh, I guess upon reflection of the entire period, right? Like originally we were sort of reviewing um, everything under the microscope, saying that each trade individually was a success. Um, looking back and looking across the period that they lost, Adams, Roughhead, 64 on a fourth round for Duray, Lloyd, 27, uh, not 27, 32 and 75 and a future third. It wasn't probably as good um, and we've decided to rate it as a, a as a 6 out of 10 rather than as a sort of 7, 7.5 out of 10. Yeah. I, think, I think overall, like the loss of Roughhead doesn't, that's not the one that's really that... Exodus, it's the Adams that hurts. That's yeah. It's the same as the loss of Roughhead. As much as I like the um, the pickup of Lloyd instead, you're still bringing in a guy who's not best twenty two at a club and losing a guy who's not best twenty two at your club. The Duray for Adams, you're losing a key position player for a more of a running rebounding player, yep. and you probably need a key position player. So that sort of works against you. Obviously, they got good value for it, but. Mm. Still, it's it's nothing. It's nothing better than a six out of ten there. And yep. um, onto the draft, we gave them a C, which yep. is five out of ten. Um, Met expectations. So what they did is they got Bailey Smith with their first pick. Great pickup, inside ball winner. Um, Ken looks probably likely they're going to try and transition him into that in out more than just a pure inside. They got what Riley West with a father son match. Latham Vandermeer at thirty seven. Um, pick up I really like Ben Kavara at 45 and then Will Hayes with 78 so um, a lot of good moves there probably Vandermeer was the one we were a little bit all not really sure on but um, I think the pick up of Ben Kavara offsets that for me yep. um, Riley West and Bailey Smith are going to be the future of this club with along with um, Bontempelli and uh, Jack McRae they're going to boast probably one of the strongest um, young on ball yeah, uh, I think brigades. when we reviewed them in the middle of the year, we said they probably had the strongest young on-ball brigade, and bring and you're bringing another two players to that. It's sort of setting up to be like Collingwood is now, mm. go like three or four years down the track when Bontempelli is like a Pendlebury, um, and these Bailey Smiths and stuff like that are turning into your Trelaws. Yeah, um, I think that they've got and I, the thing I like the most, and I always like this, is when you draft players that are going to have a clear mentor at the club. Um, and obviously somebody like O'Reilly West should have a playing mentor from a, a guy like Tom Liberatore who's going to model himself off. He's also a father-son, potentially not the off-field stuff, but still <laughs> focus on um, the, the style of play. And the same with Bailey Smith is that you're going to want him to play like Jack McRae. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be able to go inside and out, good kick, a good acceleration away from the contest. So I think that they have done really, really well um, there. But again, it was only a met expectations because they just picked the best player available yeah. with those selections. There were no, there were no genuine um, shocks amongst them. Like we said, probably Vandermeer was the only one that we went, oh, maybe a little bit high. But you know, at the end of the day, if that's what they rate, that's what they rate. Yep. Um, did they do any trades? I can't really. They traded out of the third round. During the draft, during the draft, yeah, they made they made a couple of little swaps, but they weren't really they were pretty great neutral. or small. Yep. Um, okay, so then against what we said they needed, we said they needed to keep two of their three key free agents, which were Wallace, Dalhouse, and Liberatore, and they re-signed uh, Liber and Wallace, and lost Dalhouse. 
We said they need to bring in a quality ruck for the now, which they didn't do. In fact, they lost a ruck. <laughs> they lost a ruck? Yeah. Well, yeah, anyway. They lost two rucks, Tom Campbell and um, uh, Roughhead. So, yep. And then they need to bring in experienced defenders to protect the poor rucks, which they did not do either. They lost two key defenders. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I... One out of three. <laughs> not the best for them. But, I mean, look, yeah, I think what... like you said, it, like Collingwood doesn't... Collingwood was using 192, 193-centimetre Lyndon Dunn as a key back. Um, and even at some parts of the year, Jeremy Howe, who's only 190 centimetres, was playing as a key backman. So there's nothing saying you can't. It's just that if one of the monsters, monster key forwards gets a hold of you, you're in a bit of trouble. Um, I really do worry about the key depth at um, the Bulldogs. That said, I think the talent-wise, what they have on the list is extraordinary in terms of the midfield and um, running depth. They've, you know, they've managed to get Buku Kamas as a rookie, yep. um, which is just, uh, to me, I'm just still shocked at that. So I think they're going to be laughing all the way to the bank with that one. Um, they've managed to really um, deepen that midfield, as we spoke about. And um, a guy like uh, Bailey Smith and Ben Kavara, these guys can probably play a bit more forward, um, given they've got really good skill sets. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look it's a really tough one because they've got such a young list and they've just gone younger so looking at next year we've we've actually predicted them to, to pretty much finish about 13th yeah um, sort of sort of the same as what they did this year yeah. um, it's, it's hard to say that they they might have some natural improvement but it's hard to say they're going to improve when they've lost experience um, like a lot of depth of their more experienced players so as you said they've gone younger yeah and when we rated their entire off season as a 5 out of 10 um, effectively, yeah. effectively a 5 out of 10 maybe just above a 5 out of 10 um, which is the met expectations it's about where they should be I mean the only thing that probably we if they wanted to perform right now would have expected them to go the other way is in keep experience bring in some more experience via the trade mm. um, but instead they've gone younger so that suggests to me that they're plotting a a more traditional build up the ladder um, and hoping that in two Sustained. to three years' times that they're going to be right up there. I think what I really would have loved to have seen them do, and it would have only cost them... like They could probably could have even used one of the, those third-round picks that they traded out in the end. I would have loved to have seen them trade uh, like a Fremantle for um, a Jones, maybe, or something, like one of their backup rucks, or even a Meek. You yep. know, someone who's who's not going to probably get a game, especially with Sandy going around and, and Sean Darcy looking like the, the future. Um, I think Jones will, will probably move in, but I think the risk at Fremantle is that a lot of them end up a bit like, um, what was his name, Clark? Zach Clark? Oh, yeah, Zach Clark, yeah. You know, like where probably an AFL player at one point, you know, around that 25 mark, um, but then they're just they're kept out by a superior ruckman and then, they fall away and, and, you know, I mean, I know he's been given a lifeline, I think, by Essendon, but, you know, that's the risk for these young guys over there at Fremantle. And I reckon a third-round pick, you probably could have shook someone loose. Like, yep. a Jones would have been ideal because he's, he's a big body. He's a mature body, ready to go now. He's still young. So he develops up with Tim English. Yep. And, that, and that's the thing. Like, Tim English is going to take another two or three years because he's so skinny. Yeah, so we obviously expect a lot of games to go into English in the next year. And he's going to have to be supported by at least Boyd or Trengove. Um, and I think that Trengove came out and said that he'd like to do more rucking. Um, Just, that's a change from his Port Adelaide days where he didn't want to do any. Yeah, I know. I think that he, I, some of his best games this year were in that ruck 
um, sort of workhorse sort of player. But that said, I still probably think that the the straight combination of Boyd and in English is their best option in the ruck. I don't think it's a great option in the ruck for winning right now, um, which means that I probably think that they could go as low as second bottom um, oh, ne- next year. I don't. I don't reckon they'll. I, I reckon based on the injuries Carlton's got and. Make no mistake, uh, the Mitch McGovern one is probably more serious. They might say he's only out for three weeks, but he'll be on a restricted duty for yeah, a while. Back injuries. Yeah. That, that that's the that cracked vertebrae back injuries, similar to um, uh, like what Jesse Hogan had happened in a preseason match when he was seventeen, and it took him half a season to get back onto the field as a seventeen-year-old, where he's young and can heal a lot quicker. Um, and also remember that probably the Obviously, that's one back injury. There's also the last big back injury was, uh, I think it was Nat Fife, um, who missed, you know, I think his was more bulging disc, sciatic nerve type stuff, but that was still, you know, it took him eight weeks to get back on the field and then it took him another, you know, year to get right again. So, you know, backs, as much as they can say they heal in three weeks and it's only a small fracture and all this stuff, um, they're, well, they're the center of your body everything runs through it so you, yeah. you can't you it's can't pot- potentially more it's a three week injury for someone like you or me who's not playing complete elite sport and putting so much load through mm. it but for elite athletes it might be a bit of a more concerning injury I, I still could see them slipping down that much just because of the inexperience they're going to be fielding I think about Brisbane this year Brisbane was sitting bottom second bottom for most of the year even though they were better than that and mm. that's probably where the Western Bulldogs could sort of fall into that sort of range. They, could, they could also make the eight. I could see them having another having oh. another crack and sort of sneaking into that eighth spot. Um, because don't underestimate how important Libba is to that side. Oh yeah, his absolutely. his contested ball winning um, allows. Although Jack McRae dominated as far as super coach and disposals goes this year, he's better on the outside, or better as them having an extra inside midfielder and him going on the outside. They'll be better with Wallace playing 22 games this year, hopefully. So. And they'll be better off with you know, like. But the good thing for them as well is having these guys back, as well as picking up kids like Bailey Smith means that Bonson and Pelly can really um, play as effectively a, a high half forward or a wingman. And then who pinch hits through the midfield a bit more, which I, I think is just going to bring another dimension to his game. Um, yeah. At 194 centimeters, he's, you know, he could quite easily kick, you know, 30, 35 goals for the season and average 22 touches, which would, you know, just be superb. Um, for but, me, for me, Bond has to turn into Fife quickly. Yes. Otherwise, he's going to end up being exactly as good as he is right now, which is a very good player, without ever becoming a great player. Um, like a, or a truly great player. I know that he might be a superstar as far as the AFL uh, reporters are concerned, but I mean, one of those guys that truly pushes into being a best few midfielder in the competition, he needs to be able to dominate teams, and he's not doing it at the moment. He's, well, he's, he's only, he's, what is he, 22? And, we, and we're still talking about his ceiling being in front of him, but very quickly he could be 24, and we don't talk about that ceiling being in front of him anymore. Yeah. He's at that ceiling. Oh, I mean, we talked about that with Wines. Everyone said after Wines' second season, similar with Bont and Pally, when they accelerate Daniel, so quickly. Daniel Rich. Yeah, exactly. They're going to have this massive ceiling, but some people just reach their ceiling quicker. Um, and Bont and Pally has had probably the last three seasons have been about all the same. Maybe he's improved in some elements of his game, but others have dropped off. 
I think that the biggest thing for him is just going to have a, be a real step up this year. Well, I think I think like we've spoken about a lot, when they changed those ruck rules, it really took out a dimension of his game that really made him like a multiple threat to yeah. use a basketball team, a dual threat, a triple threat, whatever you want to call it. Because at a contest, what it meant was he was constantly moving because he was running to take that third, um, that, that tap, be the third man up, um, which put him on the move no matter what. It yeah. also meant that if he tapped it down to, say, a Libba, he was also then getting in front of the contest and yep. he could be the release player for Liberty to, to chip it over to. So yep. probably one thing I've noticed in the last two years has been he's a lot more stagnant at the contest. He needs to be up on the balls of his feet and really pushing through the contest. Yeah, and dominating in the air because that's a part where like, he used to be able to win in the air because of that ruck contest element. Mm. But dominating the air like Fife, like as in a ball goes one-on-one to Fife. Same with Dustin Martin. Dustin Martin does it at and ground Paddy, level. Paddy Cripps as well. Paddy Cripps. Patrick Dangerfield, all of these sort of modern prototype midfielders are all able to dominate in one-on-ones, as in win 80% of them and be a constant goal threat whenever they win a one-on-one. Yeah. He probably needs to add that element to his game. Yeah. All right, so basically, in summary, we're yeah. giving him basically five out of ten for the met expectations this off-season. Yeah. Um, I'm saying probably the range is 16th to, to 8th. Um, yeah, and I've got them probably sitting... 17th to 8th so we're pretty similar in but that. the but the third like 13 I probably see that as a pretty uh, like a, as in that's them Definitely. reaching, yeah, reaching. <laughs> no no that's like that. I guess that's the ex- if I was a Bulldog supporter next year setting expectations I'd be setting expectations around that pick 13 or 12 yep. don't be sitting there aiming I know every club at this time of year is going to be saying finals 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 because this is the hope time of the year but yep. Be realistic about your list as well. And this goes for Fremantle, Brisbane, everyone. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of excitement. Yes, Fremantle's finally got a, you know, a forward line that can dominate. Brisbane's finally starting to pull all the pieces together. They picked up a great player in Lockie Neal and all this stuff, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But at the end of the day, your list is only marginally older than what it was last year. And in a lot of cases, you actually let go uh, a hell of a lot of experience, which is what the Bulldogs have done here. So Yeah, and uh, so I, just on that as well, I was looking at the uh, afl.com.au survey results. We've got to stop slamming afl.com, mate. I don't know, yeah. It's, we'll, it's we'll my only news. It's my only news. No, they, they know where it's from because it's the survey results. They're the only ones okay. that have that access um, for fan surveys and what their minimum expectations is for their club's performance. Yeah. So... Minimum expectations, they have 13 or 14 clubs have a minimum expectation of making the top eight. Yep. And I think seven or eight eight clubs have a minimum expectation of making the top four. So lower your expectations, everybody, because <laughs> uh, 13 and 14 isn't going to go into eight. Um, so there's going to be at least, I think there's going to be at least five clubs disappointed about top four position and at least five clubs disappointed about the um, top eight position. The other thing I'll say about that survey is um, it was interesting that out of all clubs, and this is including um, the bottom end this year, the lowest uh, averaged expectation position finish of any club was Gold Coast, but they had them finishing 13th. Yeah. So. We've got no clubs from 14 to 18. Yeah, minimum expectation. We, there, was yeah. no, there was no clubs who had a minimum expectation of first. I yeah. think the highest was second, if I remember. Yeah. So basically, we've got 18 clubs, according to the, the survey, finishing between second and 13th. Yeah. Um, so the maths doesn't quite work out. And I know everyone wants to be in hope, and injuries and stuff are going to play a huge part next year. But 
probably like this is maybe speaking as a a lifetime demons fan um, who's very very well versed in misery. Um, you've got a the best part why I got into all this stuff was because I started to like try to look and understand what the what is what is that list actually telling us. And I can remember the year that when I think I've told you this story, John, like Dean Turlich came third in our best and fairest. Dean Turlich was, if he had a little bit more skill, he would have been an AFL player for his whole career because he had everything you need. He worked hard. Um, he put his body on the line. He really did a lot of great things as a, as a football player, but his skill set, he was at his ceiling very early. He didn't have a great skill set. He finished third in our best and fairest, and we finished 17th, I think, that year. Um, and I can remember saying to people that when Dean Turlich is playing, finishing third in the VFL um, side, that's when Melbourne's improved as a side. And that wasn't a knock on him. It's a knock on where our list was. And, and that's really what you've got to do. Sit back, look at your actual list and go, yeah, we've got a lot of excitement. We've got Ben King. or like, This is for Gold Coast. Yeah, they've got Ben King. We've got Isaac Rankin. We've got Jack Lukosius. Oh, my God. You know, everything's looking up. Rosie, blah, blah. They're 18 years old. <laughs> Next year, you're probably going to finish last. Yep. Just accept that for what it is. Yep. Focus on building your culture and becoming a better site, and then go from there. Yep. Um, that's that's the reality. And whereas for teams like the Magpies and stuff, you've got an older side, so you guys should be expecting to make top four. You top don't... four though. Like don't 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 expect to make top two. And I think that this is something that every supporter should reassess because all of the people that were Richmond supporters said we have to make top two West Coast supporters have to make top two reality is Hawthorne won a lot of flags from fourth yep from finishing fourth over the year because all you have to do is just make the top four and give yourself that double chance that's your best your best hope um, and you shouldn't expect anything more than that from your club just hope that they do well enough uh, but yep. we're going to Gonna move on from that. We've been Brisbane, Brisbane Lions. Hit uh, us, John. Let's go. All right. So uh, retired <laughs> was Kane Hanley. Um, I can't pronounce. Yeah, that Irish name. Uh, retired, but I think he probably would have been delisted anyway. I mean, the delisted players: uh, Rowan Buick, uh, Clay Beams, Tom Bell, Mark, uh, Marco Paparone, Jake Barrett, and Liam Dawson. I think this is a pretty good period by them. Yeah, maybe with the. I, I sort of like Tom Bell. I know that he didn't find his position there, but I mean, I, I'm still going to give that an 8 out of 10 for a pretty pretty well, good period at moving on. I'm pretty much the same with Marco Paparone, but I think yeah. we, we both kind of, I think we discussed it in the podcast, saying that if you're not playing them, delist them. And if you're being delisted from a bottom four or five side anyway, I mean, potentially that's just that we're overrating them. Um, so that's, that's completely fine. Free agency is where it really clicked for him because they were able to bring in Jared Lyons for nothing. Um, and I think Jared Lyons really um, goes a long way to offsetting the fact that they lost Beams. And yeah. I know that they brought in Neil, which was the offset for Beams, but Jared Lyons really goes to another level because he's another um, slowish inside midfielder, um, which allows... Neil to probably be more of that inside-outside rather than that pure inside. Um, and, and this is just... I mean, I think we've touched on it, but this is just one that I, I can't quite understand how... I mean, for Brisbane, it's fantastic. Like They, they have made the best of the situation. I think uh, Jared's brother, Corey's playing for for um, uh, Brisbane as well. So yep. that's a, you know, get the two brothers together. But... You know how does you know, how does Gold Coast let a bloke who's just dominated for them in a team that really struggles on the inside ball 
like I, I don't know whether the list team or Stewie Jew or, or the coaching staff rate the inside ball as heavily as the rest of us seem to or something but they've let go Barlow they've let go Lions, you know, there was Will Brody was struggling to get game time. You know, they're the best inside ball winners, and and this for me is a, a massive loss for them. But as you said, like this is for Brisbane getting effectively a delisted rookie is what he got. the win the windfall for them. Oh, it's massive. Um, so that I mean, that's what do we give it eight out of ten for that at yep. least. Yeah, and their trade score, I mean, we also really rated their trade period because they were able to uh, like bring in Neil, which was obviously massive. I mean, I don't know if, if anyone during the year would have predicted that Neil would have been leaving, um, let alone that he would have been going to Brisbane. Um, Sounds like it was on the cards for a while, though, when they were talking about it. does. Um, they were able to bring in a lot of picks. Um, so even though they lost pick 5 and 24, they were able to get in 18, 30, 35, which is pretty good. They lost their 2019 first round pick, but they got a 2019 first round pick back and a 2019 second and a 2019 third. So they were able to bring in a lot of picks. Um, I mean, obviously they wouldn't have liked to have lost beams, but they needed to in a way because before then, although they would have projected higher, um, I think it would have been a worse trade period for them because the fact that they were able to get uh, pick 18 and a 2019 first round pick from Collingwood back really made that Neil trade work because instead of just losing your high early pick, um, you were able to get back a pick um, or a couple of picks back. So I think that ended up working out really well for them. Yeah. And obviously they lost Sam Mays in that period as well, but Sam Mays wasn't playing. So Yeah, he just fell out of favour really more than anything. And, and um, I mean, he was one of the, you know, in that time of the Brisbane Five who walked, he was the one who did stay loyal. Um, what was he a pick eight or something or maybe 12 yeah or, pick seven maybe yeah. he was high um, and he I mean I guess he just fell out of favour and that's okay um, but they did the right thing and, and I think he's gone back home so that's a good support yeah. yeah so that's a probably a good move for him and they got some value out of that the Marcus Adams one I mean I think they're deep in the back line but Marcus Adams is probably better than a lot of their defenders so yep. I'd probably say Harris Andrews is the most exciting key defender at the moment in the AFL um, for, a, for a young key defender um, and then they, I think their next best was uh, Darcy Gardner and Marcus Adams will probably overtake Darcy Gardner straight away and so that really strengthens their list so it's a good trade there and they've got Josh Walker floating as their third um, which is you know he's had a bit of a reincarnation back there as well so I think it's, you know, Brisbane's, you know, we rated it very highly. We gave it, uh, what is that, uh, eight, eight and a half out of ten, which is, you know, that's oh, that was huge, actually. That was, I think it was one of our highest scores. Yeah, but it was it, one of our top three highest scores for the trade period. Yeah, and, and that's really reflective of, of what they did. They really targeted um, areas that they, they needed to, um, and they've, they've brought in, you know, Lockie Neal at Fremantle, might have been second field of Fife, but... When Fife was injured, Lockie Neal was a, a top 10 midfielder in the competition. So, um, And while they've lost a top 10 midfielder in the competition in Beams, they've um, they've replaced him with another equivalent and then improved with Lions. So yep. uh, just really, really good trading. Um, and then we hit the draft, mate. What happened? Yeah, so it was a straight C for the draft. And I think that was just because they sort of met expectations all the way across the board. And... Uh, I mean, they probably went a little bit early on Barry, 
um, given based on how he went across the course of the year. They got McFadden a little bit later than we would have expected. Tom Joyce was a good selection. Noah Answorth a good selection, and Eli Smith. I think you like that selection. I probably liked it a little bit less. Um, I love that. So this is probably this is probably the only area of the dra- uh, the only area of the off season period where I thought they could have done a bit better. Um, and I mean, the only way that I thought that they could have potentially done better was that if you compare Eli Smith to some of the trades that West Coast and Adelaide were able to get around this point in the draft where they were able to get two second round picks for their one second round pick. I would have liked to have seen that from Brisbane. Obviously, they were probably more concerned about where a bid was going to come for Connor. So um, being able to just make that selection and, and put it in the bank, um, yeah. bring in another high talent, high athletic player, country, Vic Country, bring in a lot of Vic Country boys um, and some academy players was really good. Um, but again, it was just a met expectations period for it. It's probably the only yeah. period where they did meet expectations. But but I love like that's the thing though. I love the reason why I love that the um, the Eli Smith pick is because when you look at the ball winners they've got, he's different. He's unique, and that's the problem where a lot of clubs get stuck. And this is what I feel has happened in Port Adelaide's midfield is that they've got too many of the same type of player. You know, you've got Ebert, Boak, um, and and Pau Pepper, and these guys who are all incredible ball winners. Um, love first hands, really aggressive. Um, but the problem with all of them is, and this is probably being harsh, but none of them kick under pressure, and and that not having that differential. None of them have a unique pace. None of them have. There's nothing really different. I could sit there and interchange them all the time and I wouldn't see a great deal of difference in the output. And this is where you break things back statistically rather than... I know everyone's going to sit there and say Boke's better than Ebert and Power Pepper's going to be better than both or shit like that. That's fine. But when you look at those statistics and you look at what they offer in that group, they offer the same set of statistics and they offer the same set of outputs just at varying levels. So therefore, to me, they're interchangeable and they're too similar. So when you see that starting midfield of those three, I, I sat there and said, well, if I was Charlie Dixon or or anyone down forward or even Paddy Ryder playing full forward, I'd be I'd be shaking my head a little bit because the ball's coming in in a spiral punt and it's probably going to hit the defender in front of me on the chest. And, you know, it's unfortunate that's the case. But with Brisbane, now you look at their midfield. You go, they got Lockie... Lockie um, yeah. Uh, Neil, who's a beautiful, you know, mover, inside outside, good disposal under pressure, can really accumulate. Yes, they had beams before that. Um, they've got their developing McCluggage and Berry, existing Berry, um, still there. They've got um, they've brought in Jared Lyons to go on the inside. Now they've got Eli Smith, who's an inside outside with a lot more pace. So. He's locky. He's similar to Lockie Neal, but he's bigger, he's stronger, and he's quicker. Yeah, it's it's good as well as you were saying, having varying types of players in the midfield because it means that when you rotate them out of the midfield, like what Port Adelaide do, Boke compared to some of the other midfielders that go forward is really ineffective. Yeah. Um, and most of their midfielders are ineffective in other areas of the ground, whereas when you have those sort of multi-talented players, you can potentially move someone like Taylor Adams when he just moves into the half-back line just for yeah. a little while, give him a rest, but he also impacts and still controls the play. 
beams. It used to be like that. It used Jared, to be able to go forward. Speaking about Brisbane, Jared Berry. Yeah. That's what he can do. He can go midfield, he can go wing, or he can go half-back line. Yeah. And you know? just yeah, work hard and be effective in any of those sort of positions. So it was it was a fine draft by them. I mean, against what we expected them to do or what we thought that they should do yeah. um, was bring in midfield players of quality, and they definitely ticked that um, with, with Neil and Lyons. Um, definitely with Neil and I mean the loss of beams might have been offset but as you said they brought in lines as well which was really good um, sort of readjusted their age profile um, in their midfield which was good as well um, bring in rucks and key position players so they did do that as well probably not in the rucks um, which is something that they're going to have to address next year I think um, especially with Martin coming towards the end of his career but again they've kept they've got a first round pick next year yeah, that's how got, they can address it yeah exactly they've still got that first round pick next year there's going to be free agents again next year yeah. so they can just go out and grab one straight away. And, and they're, they're becoming an attractive proposition. They're getting yeah. new headquarters. Yep, they're, they're looking like one of those clubs that's going to rise and it's always people are always trying to punt on a club that's going to rise up the ladder. Um, and take high picks to the draft was one of the things that we said. We said that they just needed to keep going to the draft and persist. They probably didn't do that, um, which is the only thing. I mean, they, they still got picks, which was good. Mm. But what we really wanted them to do is just go use pick five again and bring yeah. in another really high-talented young player. Connor Rosie. Connor Rosie, Ben King, um, yeah. to play forward or back. Um, we still said they probably needed some new key position players. So that was probably the only thing that they didn't do, but you can't do everything. Um, I think in and, this... And it's a really harsh knock because I think given that they lost beams, they made the best of the situation. So you probably... You know, if you if if we had a norm and we were talking at the time that Lockie Neal was on the table for them, um, and that was on the cards, you probably wouldn't have mind them trading a high pick. Yeah, that's with all this, I don't really mind what they've done. That's what we um, it, it's it's what we saw. I mean, I probably would have preferred uh, they continue down the traditional path. I think that they're in a good position and just take that pick to the draft, bring in a player that you think you can retain and develop and and wait out the process um but that said they've chosen to probably accelerate their position by bringing in experienced players um to top up their um the middle of their list so those players between say 23 and 27 um high talent best 22 players so they've definitely done that and i mean we gave them an off-season score uh of of 7 out of 10 uh, just over 7 out of 10 which was a really strong score as well what, so that's, that rank them about in second maybe second or third yeah. um, so definitely up there it's it's. I mean the thing with Brisbane and this is the word of caution we've even done the podcast on it the Brisbane uh, overrating of 09 was it? yeah um, I know to 013 that, that listery episode was a bit earlier yeah so I mean I guess that's the only concern um, I don't think they've made any moves here that were the same as what they did then so I guess fingers crossed um, Dom and the team have, have heated history and they seem to have been focused on only very high end talent um, talent that, that walks straight into their best 22 like Adams and like Neil, so that's fantastic. Um, they've got a very good recruitment team. Um, they they keep hitting, getting hits every year. So um, I think that's part of the reason why we said take high picks to the draft because they their their recruitment team uh, the last few years have just been on song. They, yeah, they've yeah. nailed pick after pick after pick. Yep. Um, so you kind of just want to keep backing them in. But hey, look, they've. I think 7 out of 10 is, is really fair for them. They've had a ripping off season. They've set themselves up well without taxing the future too much. 
Um, so yeah, really, really, really happy with Brisbane this 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 off season. But that said, age, experience that that's really what drives next year's performance, and and we see him pushing up the ladder a little bit um, into fourteenth. We've got him here, um, but there's probably a, a minus two plus. You could see seven. seven, yeah, plus seven. Could see him as high as seventh, I guess. Yeah, could see him um, as high as seventh or eighth. I mean, like the same, similar to the Bulldogs as far as their age profile of their list goes. A lot of good young players um, potentially waiting to go bang if everything clicks. They're good. a little bit stronger in the rucks, but probably a little less experienced in the midfield. In the midfield, yeah. yeah so they brought in brought in a couple of midfielders, but they've lost. Said. But they've lost. They've bit, lost their captains. Yeah. Um, and Zorko had an interesting off season, so um, <laughs> yeah. it's it's going to be. Yeah, I I, th- I think that fourteenth. I don't 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 expect everything to click all at once, especially with bringing in some of these players. I think you're still two years away from top eight, uh, or really being a big threat. Um, but at the same time, I think they're set up for long term. That's the thing that I really love about Brisbane's list. Every time I look at it, I go, "This is a this is a 21 year old. This is a 22 year old who's going to be." And it's like Harris Andrews, yeah, like and Eric Hipwood, and they really need Eric Hipwood to develop this year yep. and and keep hitting the the stretch targets they're setting for him. But it's that talent that you really, really, really see um, in their list where you, every time you look at it, you go, oh, in five years' time, this is going to be 24 to 28-year-old bracket, yep. and none of these players are bad. No, they're all, you're right. Um, it probably, they're waiting for a tipping point. Uh, at that tipping point, they'll overtake, in my mind, they'll overtake West Coast, Adelaide, Geelong, Sydney, Sydney. Hawthorne, um, and that, that that tipping point for me comes sometime in the next two to three years where Western Bulldogs, Brisbane, um, I don't want to say St Kilda because I'm not sure about their list position at the yes, moment. Essendon's probably going to push into there. Essendon are pushing in there probably more immediately. Mm. But there's just those teams that are sort of tipping into that right age profile right now. I think Carlton are expecting that they're in there as well. Mm. I don't see them probably there yet. Um, but there are a couple of teams that are sorting, sort of getting everything right to, to make a sustained tilt at the top four. So it'd be really interesting to see how all of that plays out. But we do um, we do have to wrap up this episode. Um, so we, we've covered off West Coast, Western Bulldogs and the Brisbane Lions and we're going to be covering another three teams early in the new year. So thank you for tuning in and, and listening as always and connect with us on Twitter. If you haven't already, let us know what you think about the episode. And um, Shawnee, thank you for joining me. Merry Christmas and, and look forward to seeing you in the new year, mate. Thanks, Johnny. Um, thank you for everything this year. It's been a, a fun ride. I think we've pumped out about 30-something episodes. Yeah, almost, almost 40. Yeah, almost 40, 40 episodes. episodes so. Which is a, a fair, fair effort. So well done, mate. Um, appreciate all your efforts and um, wishing everyone a, a safe and happy new year. And, and we'll, we'll speak to you all in the new year. Yeah, party responsibly. That's, yeah. The, that's the message. All right. See you here. See you in the new year, guys. See you, Bye.